Welcome to In the Making. I'm your host, Selena, and today I have two fun men uh, to join me. I think they're fun, at least. I have Sean Cullen and John Howe. And so uh, Sean Cullen um, was formerly the National Director of Power Change Students for the past 10 years. Um, currently, I actually get to work with him on the spiritual development team. And um, I'll share a, a bit more about Sean in a second. But John as well, they ha- they work together on things um, on national teams with power to change. And, uh, John Howe used to be on staff for about 12 years, but none of us really know the number. It could be a thousand. Um, we'll never truly know how old John is, but, uh, currently he is a pastor and a business consultant and he pastors at the church reality Vancouver. Um, and so I invited Sean and John here because they have done some work on the topic of what does it mean to be human? And I don't really know what it means to be human, to be honest with you. So I'm glad to have them who have thought about this issue a bit deeper um, and the realities of what it means to be human and how it impacts us, not just as power to change, but as individuals, as Christians living in this society. And so we're going to we're going to talk about that right now. Any any first thoughts the two of you may have before we jump into my questions? Hmm. Working on this topic was maybe a strong word. Uh, musing uh, is good. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's good to see John again. Uh, Selena, it's fun to work with you. Um, it's fun to work with John. So we haven't had a chance to see each other for a little while. So this will be fun. Yeah. A fun triangulation. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with what Sean said. We talk, I mean, as it's such a huge topic, we oftentimes would find ourselves spidering out from the question, what does it mean to be human to the many subtopics or next questions about, you know, then what does that mean for, for racism, for our own lives, for all the different topics that kind of spider web from there. So yeah, I, I, we've had many conversations about it and we'll, excited to see where this one goes to. I'm kind of excited that I get to be a part of the mix um, in this conversation uh, because I don't, I don't know if I have really been a part of the mix of that conversation with the two of you. Um, so it'll be great. So I guess my first question is what, what does it mean to be human? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, who, who would like to go first? Go ahead, Sean. <clears throat> hmm. I don't know if I want to go first, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a complex um, issue. Like John said, there's so many spider webbing subtopics, but uh, I'll try and say it this way. There's, uh, I think, uh, what it means to be human, um, first of all, in my life, is is the answer to that question is still forming. So I share anything here with you uh, with a certain degree of trepidation and uh, and uh, gentleness, um, uh, just recognizing that I'm still in formation on this uh, topic. Um, uh, but yeah, I think there's um, what it means to be human has to be answered in relation to other things. And so what it means for me to be a human in relation to the rest of creation means that um, 
well, it's relational. It is relational, but it's also substantive. It has also got some, it, it, it is something. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and that's not super clarifying. Um, but I believe it's both. It's both relational. We determine, we we discover what it means to be human in relationship, in relationship with one another, in relationship with the rest of creation, with the earth, uh, with creatures, uh, with, and with, with God. And um, it's in those relationships that we discover what it means to be human. Um, but it is also, it's, it's not just an experience. It's also a thing. It's uh, we are image bearers of God. He created us uh, to be his uh, regents in the world. And, um, and just to be is to be human. <laughs> uh, and I can share more maybe later, but um, those are two quick thoughts uh, uh, as we start. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, pre I, I share a lot of the same perspective that Sean does. I mean, this is probably the place where I'd have the, it's, it's actually a shorter answer, but a longer way of getting there. I think that there's various answers to the question. Um, you know, there's a biological answer to the question. There's cultural answers to the question. Um, and even within the Christian world, there's different perspectives of what it might mean. You know, um, what's the purpose of us to be human? People might ask that question. What's the anthropological perspective? Are we body and soul? There's differentiation questions like what are the capacities that make us uniquely hum human, like decision making or language? Uh, you know, these are all kind of questions that people are asking. And I find those to be a little bit, um, there, there's truth to all of them, I would say. Um, but sometimes I think that in our goal to define something very, very clearly, there's a desire to have power over uh, something and control, to have a sense of control. And I think for, for those of us who are living now, there's that we're, we're asking the question because we've lost the old story of what it means to be human. We're not living in that story. And so we're forced to redefine it for ourselves in a new way. And so I think as a Christian, I can be open to all of those and not threatened by any of them. But I also think that we need to, as a Christian, and, and of course, maybe not everybody listening to this is, we take our, our cues from and stitch our answers to the story of the Bible, which is not a reductionistic story, that it's one thing. It's actually a story. And, and like any good story, the characters are multifaceted and what it means to be them is a multifaceted thing. So I like what Sean said about it's a forming thing. One of um, a book I read by a woman named Astra Taylor, she wrote a book about uh, democracy called um, uh, Democracy May Not Exist, But We'll Miss It When, when It's Gone. Great title. And uh, her, her perspective on democracy is that it's a hard thing to define because we're doing it as we're defining it. And I think there's very much something to that about being human as well. At the same time, there's this story from the Bible and there's many different cues about what it means. Um, and the story is kind of redefining it and defining it all the time. There's, you know, the life of Jesus. There's the, the first story, the origin stories of the Bible. Um, there's all the different uh, things. And, and so lastly, I'll just say it's not a reductionistic picture. It's a story for me. And in, for me as a Christian, it's linked to the Bible. But the last thing I would just say is it also depends on the conversation that we're having. Um, if we're all interested in this question as human beings, but, but as I talk with people, not that we have 
you know, I, I sit down with all my friends and we quiz each other on what it means to be human. Um, but we, we come with an interested perspective. Like, why are you thinking, why are you having this conversation? Is it just general interest? Maybe that's what we're doing today. But if there's someone who's saying like, I'm, I, I don't know, I don't know if I'm valuable. What does it mean to be human? I'm thinking of committing suicide, for example. This is a different kind of question and I'm going to approach it maybe in a different way and talk about the purpose of it or the, the vision of what the beauty and vision of what it means to be a human and the brokenness. Um, you know, are you asking because you're interested in backing cultural imperialism, for example, or degradating a group of people? They're not human or subhuman. It's a different kind of conversation. So it depends a lot on the conversation partner, I would say, the direction that it goes in my mind anyways. I guess just thinking about that, why is this topic something that is important to you guys personally about what it means to be human? Like what point of view do you kind of come with and bring to it that um, makes this a significant question? Hmm. Hmm. You want me to go first again? Sure, Sean. <laughs> um, I thought you were getting started. I heard the engine revving, so I was just. No, I'm. I like to. I like to hmm a lot. <laughs> well, I can say maybe some historical perspective. So Sean actually brought this up when we were on working on the national team together, and uh, you know, with a lot of passion and and vigor, that this was something we needed to talk about, and I think the response was twofold. It was yes, that he had touched on something that was very true. And at the same time, a deep sense of like fear and inadequacy of what talking about this might bring as we spiderwebbed into the conversations of racism, gender, uh, relationships, like it just spiderwebs into all these different kinds of conversations. And so, um, that are difficult, like I said, because depending on the conversation partner, it's difficult to speak about them as an organization. And so um, that's, I think, for thinking about power to change specifically, that's where it is. I would say, again, if I was to kind of go back to my, um, my, my, my last comment was that as a group of people, we've untethered, there used to be a story of what it means to be human. And um, we've untethered ourselves from that story in in our western world anyways so now we are a little bit obsessed with answering that question and we are def we need to do that on our own terms so i think a lot of people are really wrestling with this question so i think sean was absolutely right in the in pointing that out that it is a like a very important question maybe one or two degrees removed from all the other many of the other big questions that are being asked in our society today um, John, yeah. you mentioned, oh sorry. oh, sorry, John, John, you mentioned, uh, like we've become untethered, um, to this like story and you kind of mentioned like, that's the Bible story, but can you like, what is that specifically that you're kind of saying that we have, mm -hmm. um, untethered ourselves from yeah. in this idea of being human? Yeah. And I say this, I, I'll just mention, I'm saying this in a way, especially if there's people listening that don't, uh, anyway, maybe I'll just mention it and then I'll, I'll give the preface at the end. So it, I'm taking this from a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor. So he would say we lived in a, um, in a world that was 
uh, a reflection of the uh, a spiritual world. So um, in the past, so our cosmos was a spiritual place and we as humans found ourselves in that spiritual place. We came underneath something else, God or gods. There was a storyline that we fit in and we weren't at the center of the storyline. So we found our place in that story. Uh, in the biblical story, of course, that means that there is a God. You know, the story of, of Genesis 1 and 2 helps us to find our place as a very uh, important piece of what it means to be part of the cosmos, but not as a centerpiece. Um, so the modern, uh, the modern way of thinking, or the Western way of thinking, I would say, is this, that we, we have uh, taken that out and we've become um, uh, a place where we are, it, he calls it the imminent frame, where we are now um, remove that sense of, of a bigger story. And we're forced to define our story on our own terms. We have to each define our own identity, um, and what it means to be people, um, and, uh, everything connected with that. And we find ourselves very much at the center of the story or forced to make our own center of the story. Some people might choose, for example, the future of the earth is the center of the story, but we, we have to, it's a contested space. And so, um, in that place, we are now forced to define what it means to be human. And not only that, for each of us, what it means. Our identities become extremely important. Um, and they become important not only for me to figure out, but for me to perform and for each person that I encounter to accept and celebrate whatever that identity is for me. Because that is the, the center of meaning is now stuck with human. So um, you may think that that's a great uh, thing that's happened that we've, we've, um, desacralized the world, or you may think it's a terrible thing that's happened. I'm, I'm not really trying to make a claim about that. I'm just trying to say that that's, that's Charles Taylor's perspective. And I would, I would generally agree with it. So we're forced to make our own stories in our own space. Um, and that's why this question, in my opinion, has become such an important one, both, both the, the communal question of what does it mean to be human? And then the individual question what is my identity? Mm. Who am I? And how do I perform that in the world in an authentic way and in a way that is recognized by other people and celebrated by them? Does that answer? I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah, it does. John, I cut you off earlier and you were going to say something. What are you going to say? Yeah. Well, um, I appreciated the, uh, um, the kind of historical context. Um, I, I miss talking to John. Uh, I appreciate his, uh, his insights and, um, uh, his dedication to reading broadly and, uh, then translating that <laughs> for people like me who are actually, um, I'm not so good at, at reading tons of stuff, but I'd like to think that I might be observant of the world and the world around me. And, um, John's and, really good at reading the title and table yeah. of contents and usually the first and last page of the chapters. <laughs> That's Which really is, all you need. <laughs> it, it, yeah, that is, there's a very big truth to that. I agree. <laughs> it's uh, maybe I'm just a genius. Um, no, I think it's probably, um, I, I just enjoy observing. And uh, I, f I found <clears throat> that as I traveled in the world as a, as a Christian, as a, as a missionary, someone who was seeking to help uh, uh, be uh, Jesus-like in the world, um, help people um, experience God 
in the way that I was experiencing him and his kindness and gentleness um, and his healing in my heart. I, I recognized that, um, uh, that there were some things that, that were happening. There were some conversations that seemed to come up in, in music and, and movies and TV shows over and over and over and over again, that, that my newsfeed was constantly, um, uh, showing articles and, and issues of the day that, uh, you know, as John alluded to, were largely these sub conversations, but they had a common root. And the root was this uh, issue of identity. Who are we? Who cares about me? Who am I? How do I be a good human in this place? How do we, how do I be a responsible citizen? How do I love my neighbor? How do I love myself? Um, and, and all these questions are kind of tied into this, this, this meta question maybe of what does it mean then to be human? And so I observed this and realized that that was a relatively new question in this generation as it was, um, increasingly evident and showing up on university campuses uh, and amongst conversations with students. It had been, I think, boiling under the, or simmering under the kind of cultural stew for a while, but was becoming super evident. So maybe I'm not that observant, but certainly it was just right there. And um, um, and I could see a change that in this, you know, the 70s, um, the church uh, broadly, as it tried to communicate this this story uh, to to the broader culture, um, was often very obsessed with with uh, uh, answering the question, "Who is Jesus?" Uh, specifically, is Jesus divine? Is Jesus God? Who is God? Uh, and so, most of uh, Christian work and and mission work in the last fifty years was was based on this this foundational question is how do we share with the world who God is? And I just, I noticed that that was becoming less and less interesting to people. They didn't really care who God is. You could convince them that Jesus is God and they'd be like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, but what they wanted to know is who am I? Who am I? What What's my role? And and the beauty of, of Jesus, of course, is that he is, I believe, God, and he is also human. Uh, the, the beauty of the Christian story, I think one of the, one of the most beautiful things is that uh, in Jesus, we have um, God who is also human, who empathizes and understands our plight as humanity. And, um, and so I just saw if, if as a missions organization whose role in the world is to try and communicate something uh, good about who God is and, and how he enters into our life, that there was there was a conversation happening in culture that we had opportunity to enter if we shifted our, our focus from, and, and not discarding uh, our answers to the question, who is God, but rather adding to them uh, and, and starting to think more deeply about what it is to enter into the conversations that were happening around identity and who are we as human beings and what brings us value? Why does God even love us? Um, and, and how can we experience uh, um, all that he's intended for us in our humanity um, in it, all of its beauty and brokenness? And so that, that was kind of the, the, um, uh, impetus for me starting to answer, ask this question, uh, of our team and um 
and and begin. And it was a very personal question too for me, uh, um, because I and 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 this was the other thing is I was just realizing that my question, my answer to that question was anemic, and still, I think probably is. And, and I wanted to go on a journey to try and flesh it out more to to find out what it what it actually means. So it was a personal journey as much as it was uh, a journey that I thought was essential for organization like power to change um, or even just the church in general. So that's kind of how it became an important question for me was observing that it was happening all around me and I didn't, I had an anemic answer and I wanted to explore it more. Um, I, I was uh, wondering if I could ask you, Selena, what you think. I, I like uh, interviews are interesting, but conversations are better, I find. So, mm-hmm. you know, what rhymes and chimes with you as we share or, you know, what do you think about this question? Yeah. Um, I think this question like more very recently has felt important to me. Um, and it, it actually came from a time where a spiritual development team was talking about limitations and Sean brought up that he believed that um, our limits are a part of what it means to be human And then I just began to see that everywhere. Um, It was one of those things like, I don't know, I feel like the number 23, is that with Jim Carrey or something anyways? And it's like, you see something once and then you see it everywhere and then everything's connected to the number 23. It just became like that for me, this question of what does it mean to be human? I began to see it everywhere. And um, I'm taking a course right now on theology and counseling and there's many readings that we have to do. And many of it is, is kind of asking that question of what does it mean to be human? Because like Sean, you were saying, it's highly relational and how we answer that question of what does it mean to be human impacts how we see ourselves. It impacts how we relate to other people. It it actually is a foundational question that shapes our worldview and how we behave and live out in this world um, and how we see God. And so I think like, that's why I think it's such an important question um, because there's actually so much in our life that um, we do out of, out of a response to that question, but we're not actually actively asking that question. Um, Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're not really yeah. always searching for the definition, I guess, but we're, we're actually living it. Sorry. Go ahead, John. Yeah. That's I, it's very similar to what Astra Taylor is saying. Like we're performing at the same time that we might be defining. I would say what you're touching on too is a reason that there's clashes between, I think maybe if I was to say for listeners who might be students, if your parents, especially if they're immigrants, they probably have a fixed definition. And if you grew up here, they, you, you're, you're wrestling with this question. What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be human? And, and you, and you're, you may not even voice it in those terms, but there's something maybe broiling in your life that's there. And your parents might be like, why, what, why are you, why do you even care about this? There's a generational divide. There's an accepted answer for them, which may be tied to your, their, your culture or their expectations. But for people that are growing up now, this is a very live question for them. I think you're very right. And that's why like counseling is such an important thing to help people unearth and uncover some of the answers to that questions or explore, even it just explore. 
but there's definitely different perspectives and, and um, like what you're saying between it being implicit or explicit is an important thing. We all are run by a, a story that defines this answer for us. We may just be completely unaware. Yeah. I am curious, like what, what is your story? So how have you defined this in the past and how is that being shaped? Um, and, and how, yeah, how is that playing a part in your story now? Yeah, I, for me, I, I growing up and certainly for 20 years of university ministry, um, uh, if you asked me, what does it mean to be human? I would have given an answer that um, I didn't maybe know it at the time, but, uh, and it comes from Aristotle, <laughs> just the, and, and then was maybe popularized by Descartes in that uh, I think, therefore I am the, the, um, the ability to, to be, rational to to um it separated me from the rest of the creatures in the world uh, as a human and so that would be my answer and like i said i i as i began to think more on it I, it felt kind of anemic to me um and that that really came home one day as i was i was flying on a plane and reading a book uh by henry nowen uh, called in the name of jesus and that, that one I was actually reading. It's one of the few books I've read all the way through. It's, it's short, so if you're like me, it's uh, it's doable. And uh, uh, changed my life uh, uh, in the name of Jesus. Reflections on Christian leadership. And and what astounded me was how much he learned about leadership from uh, the community in which he was living, which at the time was uh, a large community outside of Toronto. Uh, uh, basically a community for the severely disabled where he lived and cared for those who, who were unable to, um, uh, communicate, uh, or, or rationalize in the same way that, that I could, or the majority of the people that I interacted with on a daily basis, uh, could. And, and, and so I began to think, well, my answer to this question doesn't include them. And I don't like that. <laughs> That's a scary place to be. And, um, so I just felt deeply convicted that I needed to learn from people who were unlike me uh, more about what it means to be human. And so I got off the plane and I told my wife uh, that I felt like I needed to do something, which again, for me was a rare, <laughs> like I had to actually do something. So we, we made plans and we did some research and ended up volunteering for a year in a, um, on Sunday afternoons in a respite home for uh families with kids with, with, uh, uh, disabilities of various kinds. And, um, and so I learned just to sit with, with kids and, and one kid in particular, uh, was nonverbal. He couldn't communicate with me and uh, I tried and I couldn't. Um, and I learned from him that he just wanted me to be with him, <laughs> just to be beside him. Uh, he couldn't speak to me. I couldn't really speak to him. I couldn't understand what was going on in his heart. Um, and often he would just kind of sit or lay beside me. And what his favorite thing to do uh, on Sunday afternoons was to kind of lightly bang the back of his head against the floor. And so in time, I learned that I could spend uh, a good chunk of time with him just placing my hand behind his head. So, you know, maybe to cushion that, that, uh, uh, the knocking of his head against the floor. Uh, 
and he would just hold my hand and we would do that for for uh, sometimes an hour and uh and there was no need to say anything and i found over the course of the year that i actually began to love him i and i i was like in my definition there's no reason for me to love him the way that i'm feeling love for him <laughs> there's no uh he's not producing anything he's not uh, you know adding to my my library of thought so much as he's just asking me to be with him and asking's even a strong word he's enjoying my presence and that being is something that i didn't learn from anybody else he taught me that more than anybody else i've ever met in my life <laughs> uh and and so that that really uh shifted some thinking in my head that resulted in a change in attitude and heart and enabled me even to be content uh you know some more of my story would be i i now find myself kind of hanging out in the secret garden with no leadership responsibility after spending most of my life in some kind of corporate leadership and uh and actually being quite content with that finding peace in that <laughs> and, and recognizing that um uh and so i'm just practicing and and learning more every day about just being uh and how important that is to my soul and and to to being human um and um anyway that's a bit of my journey um yeah i think uh i appreciate that Sean shared that story with me but it's still uh yeah um just a, it's a beautiful story and moves me again to hear it um i think uh, there's many stories of that in my life and i, I think we're all shaped by our experiences and uh, they play a huge part. I, I think if I was to maybe name one storyline that, that I'm currently living through that, that other people might be able to relate to um, is that I, I'm, I've always been a person who's very mobilized by a purpose-based question. So why are we here? What, why am I here specifically? What's the point? I remember once I led this group, uh, we, it, was, we were, it was a band. So I was in a band and I showed up and I said, I want to let everybody know the purpose of why we're here. It's to have fun. And people were like, boo, this, by saying that, that just makes it not fun. <laughs> but to me, that was like a very important question to define why we're here. And they're just like, by doing that, you've, you've just wrecked the whole evening. Um, but that's, it's always something that, that weighs heavy on me. And, and I have a hard time participating in anything that doesn't actually have a purpose, which does make me not fun at parties. I'll just be honest. <laughs> but like that drive then um, to be maximally useful and to have a purpose for everything is very, has, has driven most of my life. Um, and even before I could articulate it, I remember for the first time watching a movie called Schindler's List, um, and seeing at the end, there's this, this moment where, uh, the, the main character, he's saved many of the Jewish people, uh, from the Holocaust, but he realized at the end, he could have done more. He could have given his watch, he could have given his car and it would have saved more lives. And, uh, watching that and just thinking, I don't want to live my life like that. Uh, and there was a book that came out when I was a teenager, John Piper, you know, don't, I think it's don't waste your life or something like that. And, and, and this kind of thinking really mobilized me to think about that in a Christian way, but kept that same storyline going, which is a self-centered story. How can I not waste my life? How can I be maximally efficient? And, and it took a lot of the things that, um, were both, uh, 
strengths that I had, but also um, things that I think turned a lot of the questions inward on myself rather than pointing them outward um, and, uh, and, and really emphasize them. So I became a staff with power to change, which was a wonderful blessing on the one hand, but even things like, you know, Jesus, take up your cross and follow me. Then I, that's me. Okay. I'm not going to go in, try to get a job that makes a lot of money, which was really the goal of my entire life. Um, to, I'm going to work for a nonprofit, which not, not profit is right in the title. Um, and, uh, but I turned, I think a lot of that continued to turn in, like, I'm going to now be the best missionary. I'm going to, I'm going to like conquer as a missionary. I'm going to, you know, define what's best and what's not. And, and, uh, you know, continue kind of that triumph story for myself, um, just doing it as a missionary. And I think, um, this past year, there's been many experiences, but I'll just speak to one that's maybe current or relevant to me. This past year has been nothing like I've experienced before, um, because, um, you know, the pandemic, which we're all facing, but I also pastoring in a pandemic and I'm a new pastor. And so that I, I realized I was telling that same story as a pastor. Yes, Lord, I'll accept that I won't go in, into business like I was maybe thinking I might do, but I'll become a pastor. I'll take the, lesser road and serve you. But I had this still, it's the same story. I'm going to conquer. Maybe our church is going to conquer or whatever. And then the pandemic hits, boom. Then um, I also was diagnosed with cancer at the, like the week before the pandemic hit. And so these questions of what it means to be human were forced on me. What does it mean to be like Sean is saying, a contingent person, someone who is accepting weakness and, what does it mean that I'm taking up my cross and following Jesus? And I realized I only had a vision for half of the story of what it meant to be human. There is something beautiful and amazing about us as people. And the Bible tells a story too. It calls us like gods, that we have the, the wonderful, there, there's a, a skyrocketing potential in us. But there's also this other part too. And Jesus' life goes, purposefully goes to that place. He has these moments where he's conquering over things and doing amazing miracles, but he also has these moments where he's meeting these kinds of people that Sean is talking about, broken people. He seems to be drawn towards them, but then he also goes there for himself. He purposely goes to that place of being broken and being maimed and being servant and being nothing. And I had no vision actually for that in my life, or I only had a vision for that as far as I can control it. And so I think that being a human at this point, I'm, I'm realizing has both sides of those stories and we can't let go of either of them. Um, and, and I shouldn't, but I only had a vision for one in my life, which, which mimics the vision for our lives and our stories, uh, or our cultural story, I would say. Anytime we're going down, uh, and life seems to be taking that downward path. What I find in my own life is it's like, yeah, okay, we're at, you know, minute 70 of the movie and by a, minute 80 things need to start turning around um, because otherwise I don't have a vision for what's happening. It needs to have, it needs to have an upward turn at some point in time. And uh, you know, to quote uh, Henry now and like um, Sean is talking about, he talks about the path of downward mobility. What does it mean to, to face that as well? That side of what it means to be human. And Jesus seemed to have a vision for that. And I, I was lacking that in my life. And I think that that's a huge, if you're a Christian and you're listening, that's a huge question for each of us. What does it mean to actually go there? What does it mean that Jesus has a vision for that side of what it means to be human?
And I'm exploring that in my own life as I walk through the different paces of what it means to, um, you know, be a person that's recovering from cancer, but also, you know, for all of us, we're not living our best lives now with COVID, right? What does it mean to be stuck here? It, does Jesus have a vision for this moment in your life or are you just in, you know, the waiting room for the rest of mm-hmm. your life? And I think that's a great question that touches again on this, like what we're talking about today. What does it mean to be human? What is my life actually for? Do these waiting rooms have a purpose? Is there hope? All these different questions. Um, can you hear the construction? There's some construction going on. It's fine. A little bit. It's all right. <laughs> you know, doesn't matter. Um, anyways, I, this is really like, I feel um, very real to my life and my life situation, even thinking through COVID and what um, life has looked like. So when, when the pandemic kind of hit, um, there are lots of varying transitions. And I think in my mind, I was like, you just got to like, keep on top of all the different things, whether it's family responsibilities, friendship responsibilities, be creative in the ways in which we do these things, but um, try to the hardest of your ability to continue to, to, to do all those things. And then um, I I think, so I've mentioned before, I'm like an Enneagram seven, which is like usually the life of the party. But then when sevens go to stress, they, um, they become ones. And I think ones are not the life of the party. They, <laughs> from what I understand, unless they were like healthy, but that they, they like to take control. Um, and I, I think I began to see some of that in myself of, um, I started like trying to do, like live my best COVID life, though I would never actually admit to that was what I was doing was like, you know, I was waking up early, spending time in like quiet and, um, enjoying God and then, you know, doing, doing work and then going for those long walks. And then I started adding in exercises cause I injured my knees, uh, on a mini trampoline, uh, very <laughs> early on in the pandemic. Driving the life of the party by yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, if I can't, you know, party outside, I'll party inside. And then it's like, oh, I have an old body that can't handle jumping. Who knew? <laughs> um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to exercise and I'm going to eat healthier. And then, um, and all these things I think to the outside world looked like, look, they look good. But then on the inside, I just kept thinking, oh man, I'm tired. Like I am, I am really tired. And, um, and, uh, I, like I do not have, life together. It was like the inside voice of just recognizing it doesn't really matter that I can do all these things or that I am doing all these things um, because I still feel so weak all the time. Um, And I think there was something there in in what you're saying. It's like there's an aspect of humanity um, that is weak and is actually good. Um, It doesn't mean that there aren't things that God has for us that is also good for us to do in our weakness and in, in the uniqueness in which he has created us to join him um, in the good work that he's doing. Um, but maybe it isn't the way that we want it to look like. Maybe it isn't like that, you know, um, pastor kicking butt in, uh, <laughs> in pastoring or student kicking butt in schooling, but maybe, um, maybe it looks different. I don't know. Yeah. I think. 
And I would just say for me, it was actually even more insidious because if you would ask me in any of those turns in my life, did you want to be the best missionary? Do you want to be the, the, like the greatest pastor or have your church grow? I would say, no, actually, that's not, not what I want. But there was something rumbling beneath that actually was saying yes. Maybe it's still saying yes in different ways. Like Sean was talking about, um, I mean, not repulsed, but like pulling away from those moments where you see the weakness in yourself or other people. Uh, and you're forced into that position rather than what I see Jesus doing, which is going there mm. purposefully. And that's a huge challenge to me. And I think a huge challenge to all of us who are propelled by that sense of story, even when we don't want to be. I love the thought of those two stories um, and holding them at the same time and, and the work of discernment and knowing, uh, well, here's how I, like Erwin McManus has a, a great YouTube video. If anyone wants to watch it on, um, on what it means to be human. And he talks about the creative potential, that beauty, that beautiful kind of capacity to dream a future into being, um, you know, he uses the, the, the analogy that you don't see too many antelopes dreaming they're going to be predators and then making it happen. They just, they're prey. That's what they are. <laughs> and, and, and in our humanity, we do have that capacity to, to dream about a future and then wake up in the morning and begin to do the creative work at, 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 at aiming at it at least and, and trying to bring it into being. And sometimes we're quite successful and it. it can be a very beautiful thing. But then there's also, yeah, this side of, of brokenness and limitation. And, um, you know, as, as I've thought about the story of the Bible, you, you, you know, one of the threads in there is that humanity generally has been given limitation. We're not God. We're God-like. We're, we're created in his image. Um, and that's where that creative kind of beautiful energy can come from. But, um, but we're, we are limited and we were limited from the very beginning and and the story of of humanity is is basically our angst against limitation <laughs> and kind of the lack of discernment and knowing when it is that we're to to work at bringing in being creative and bringing some kind of a beautiful thing into being um and when it is that we're to be content and and move towards even uh weakness and and limitation um and 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 it's that um, smashing together of those two things that often creates uh, chaos. And <laughs> it's like when when are when are we when are we to embrace limitation and when are we to um, embrace that entrepreneurial creative spirit of overcoming? Um, and that's a that's a work of relationship, I think, ultimately with with God. Um, uh, and and is a daily thing that we we do actually need guidance to know when it is our place to to sit and embrace limitation when it's our place to to drive um, to to bring something new into being. Anyway, that's still a very much a process thought for me um, how I discern those things. And and I just maybe riff off that to say that's what I was trying to reference early on when I say when we re, we tell a reduction story or we try to reduce it to its lowest parts we choose one of those mm. and that's where things go wrong and so not to criticize 
either, you know, I learned a lot from Irving McManus and a Henry Nowen type of figure. But if, if what it means to be human is just to have creative potential, then you have no vision for the people that Henry Nowen worked for because they may, mm-hmm. they may never have creative potential. Um, so, you know, and, and vice versa. And so I think there's both of those things need to be held together. That's what I, that's what I'm trying to say when I'm saying it's a story rather than just a single, like, let's get to the bottom of this and be certain about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and both of you actually mentioned that Jesus, um, was also fully human and he, he, Jesus is a bit complicated, um, but I wanted to talk about, um, like, what does that even mean that Jesus, um, is human? I saw this. Okay. I have like multiple questions and I'm just going to like throw them all out there at the same time and leave it to you to do whatever you wish with it. Because, um, I remember I was watching a YouTube video. I can't remember who was speaking, but he talked about how Jesus in his humanity defeated temptation, which I was like, what does that even mean? Um, but essentially that it wasn't his like divinity that did, but it was his humanity, which is an interesting thought. But another thing that is interesting is that Jesus is still human now. Um, and Jesus is human. Like he, he holds on to his humanity. I saw that, that, that was from a quote from a uh, gentle and lowly where it said the son of God clothed himself with humanity and will never unclothe himself. Um, and I, I don't even know how my mind can comprehend that or what that fully means that Jesus like was human, but like now also still is human. Um, so I'm throwing these things out there to you guys, <laughs> my non-expert experts to <laughs> tell me what. I appreciate that. that well, let you me just say, I, I just, I've recently read that book, uh, Gentle and Lowly. Let me just, I, I'll just say as well, um, at my church, we're preaching through the gospel of Mark. So I'm, I'm, I'm influenced by that thinking when we're thinking off the top of our heads here. Um, Jesus is a complicated person. He's got four more biographies written about him than I do uh, about myself. And it just means that there's something in him that's also, that's so intriguing and amazing that it, it takes more than one story to capture. Again, when we try to tell reduction stories about Jesus, they don't really fit at least even what we have in our Bible. There's something greater in him that's going on. I, I, I probably personally move back from the question, like, was that these, in the, the desert, was he, as he's being tempted, was he that his most human point or his most God point? I'm like, I, I probably move away from that kind of thinking again, as you might be able to tell from the way I'm talking about this. He was God and, and there's a, there's a beautiful mystery there and it's there the whole time and it's still there now. I would say this as a person who's now had two surgeries from cancer, I have scars on my body, scars that are healing. Some of them have healed uh, and the tissue is there. And it's a reminder almost daily uh, that my body is not the way that it was before and that there's something different about me. And I'll never get some of those things back. There's, there's a change in who I am. And as grateful, uh, the, the medical team has been phenomenal. I can't say enough about them uh, and how wonderful they've been in the care I've received. But there are scars in my body. And Jesus bears the scars of what it means to be human. 
And I know now in a, in a new and in bigger way than I did a year ago of what that means, that, that the God of the universe is a person who right now in a mysterious way, I don't know exactly what that means, but he bears scars of what it means to be human of that, of, of what it means to, you know, for, for maybe people listening of what it means to experience racism of what it means to be, um, broken of what it means to be, uh, hurt and degraded. He, he knows it and he carries that in his body and we carry that in our bodies too. He, he understands and he knows. And there's, there's something I, I couldn't have said it in the same way, or at least I couldn't have understood it in the same way a year ago. I just couldn't have because I didn't have those scars. And I'm not saying that, uh, it's therefore it's great that I had cancer and we should all celebrate anytime anything bad happens to us. I'm just saying that, uh, that Jesus went to that place willingly. And in fact, in the gospel of Mark, as like I said, I'm preaching through that right now. It says that he had, there's, he had to go. He says it's necessary. There's this divine pushing towards that place of brokenness and, and misery and, and that he still carries those scars now is a testament to him being there with us and being human. And, and he, so I think maybe one of the things I would want people to hear in that is there's a divine mystery, but one of the outcomes is that Whatever you're going through, whatever scars you carry, he carries too. He can stand with you in that place and he knows. And, and I know it can be such a lonely and an isolating experience to have scars where you feel like other people see them and they don't quite understand. Um, but Jesus, Jesus carries scars and he knows. Mm. And we can come to him and actually maybe meet him in his place. And in God, the gospel of Mark, one of the things that I've been continually surprised at is the vast majority of characters who meet him are people with scars. That's the people who see him for who he is, is those who see themselves in that they're forced into that downwardly mobile place like Henry Nowen and Sean were talking about. They have a special perspective to see Jesus and they have a special perspective to relate to a person with scars, a, a king who, who leads by serving. Yeah, I love that. So good. And I think <clears throat> only to add to that, um, I've been recently just I was profoundly moved um, just looking at the resurrection stories and we're coming up to Easter. And, um, you know, Jesus does some weird things uh, upon his resurrection where, you know, he he joins in with his disciples. And the first thing he invites them to do is put their hands in his wounds like these aren't these aren't even healed. <laughs> these are these these are open wounds that they can stick fingers into and um, kind of marvel at the uh, at the grotesqueness of his brokenness. Um, that's the first thing he does. Like <laughs> the, the resurrected God of the universe, uh, the one who spoke all things into being, uh, who became human. His first act in in his resurrection is to say, "Put your hand in my side. Put your fingers in my." wounds and know that I've been broken. And um, I mean, just to just kind of pile on what, what, what John's saying that uh, I think there's a, just a tremendous beauty in Jesus. Uh, you know, is there a reason Paul calls him the firstborn amongst creation in the sense that he's the first, he's the first fully human <laughs> in some ways he's, he's embraced 
the fullness of his humanity and that he he certainly is full of creative potential. And there's lots of stories about him embracing that side of his story, the, the creative potential, uh, but also this this downward mobility we're talking about here. This um, uh, and and maybe that's most well displayed even in the Garden uh, of Gethsemane before the cross. Uh, so whether it was after the resurrection and his invitation to to touch and feel and 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 experience his wounds, or whether it was um, in the Garden prior to the cross, him saying, "I don't want to do this." <laughs> I don't want to do this. And how many times I've been stunned by, I, I'm just confused by how often Jesus like, is like, I don't know. I don't know the way. I I can't tell you what's going to happen. Um, I don't, uh, you know, he, he's often, he actually often expresses his limitation. Um, I don't want to do this. I don't know. I can't tell you. Um, and yet, Linked to each one of those scenes is also a willingness to surrender to that limitation, to be content in it, uh, to even call it food, <laughs> to to be in that place of surrender uh, for his soul. And so it, Jesus is just this beautiful mix of uh, the creative potential and the and that that downward mobility, and that just really strange to me. And it's an invitation to me. This is the part of my life that I, I need to learn more about is how to embrace and move in that direction of being content and limitation of, of being, um, of, of seeing woundedness, not as, as, as some, uh, you know, obstacle to conquer, but that to move towards brokenness because it's in there, there's the wonder of healing and, and the wonder of, 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 um, it's, it's, it's not an obstacle. It's a, it's, it becomes attractive. <laughs> And and I think that's, if I were to summarize something that's happening in my heart over the last couple of years, exploring this question more, is that may, I'm verbally processing, that may be a way to summarize it, to say that brokenness is becoming attractive to me rather than an obstacle. And I thank God for that. That's something I think Jesus is teaching me. Sean, I feel like you answered a question that I was going to ask about what does it mm. look like for you to embrace your humanity. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like you kind of shared already, but I guess I'll leave it open for the two of you. Cause I think that's a question that I'm now wrestling with as I listen to you guys speak on this. Yeah, I think, um, well, just to flesh it out, it, 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 it's actually checking my, um, desires for importance in the world <laughs> and, uh, learning to be content in, in, and even be attracted to obscurity and uh, quietness and, and brokenness um, in where I see it in my own life to be attracted to it and to, to move towards it, but also in the lives of other people to pay attention to it, uh, whether it's my kids or my family, uh, like uh, my wife or my neighbors or uh, just the people I come across. There's a, a growing genuine curiosity to gently <laughs> enter into other people's brokenness, um, to be there with them, not in a desire to like fix it, uh, but to experience it and to be with them in it. And, and in some way, maybe, maybe experience healing together. Um, and I think that's kind of what love is, but 
so I'm, I'm moving in that direction. Um, uh, yeah, both in, inside myself and in the lives of the people around me, um, slowing down, willing to be more patient, um, you know, as a parent, as a husband, again, it, it just touches all these things. Like, um, trying to think of a, a recent example. Um, you know, recently my daughter, uh, cut her finger. She was doing some crafts and she cut her finger, uh, and she spent three to five minutes in the bathroom by herself out of fear that we would be upset that she was bleeding all over the floor, <laughs> trying to resolve the situation herself. And, uh, finally I realized something weird was going on <clears throat> just from the noise coming from the bathroom. So I knocked on the door and, and entered and, and, you know, there's, there's blood everywhere. And, and she's at that point, she freaks out <laughs> and it's a pretty deep cut. And, and I just astounded what in me has, has taught her that she needed to try and fix that herself. Maybe it's partly internal to her. Maybe it's partly my parenting. It's probably both. <laughs> so, uh, I just, I just felt deeply convicted of that and concerned. And my response, of course, um, in that moment was, was twofold. One, uh, did you get it on the carpet? And two, are you going to be okay? But so I had to check the, did you get it on the carpet impulse? Cause in that moment I realized <laughs> like, this is not where I need to go. Um, and just to enter into that space. Anyway, we, we dealt with it. She probably needed stitches. We decided not to do that COVID, all that stuff. We just handle it on her own. And, um, but she spent an hour just sitting on my lap, sobbing with her hand on my cheek. And uh, in my past life, I would have found an hour of crying, maybe a little bit tedious, a little bit too much. You know, we have to get, move on with life. Uh, I have to clean the carpet. Um, but instead, I just found myself so... I'll never forget that hour. That was the most precious hour I've had with her in a long time of just sitting in her fear and <laughs> and pain. And um, there was just something profoundly that I needed. I needed. <laughs> I needed. She needed. I needed to sit there together. And um, I need more of those experiences day to day. That's that's where I'm going. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> um, John, did you have an answer to that question of... Um, how do we embrace our humanity? Hmm. I was just that, I'm glad you repeated the question. I was just listening to Sean's story. <laughs> I think, um, again, if I'm thinking that this, especially towards students, I maybe want to speak a bit towards that. I think if I was to, you know, one of the um, mental debates I have with myself is if I had a time machine, and I was to go back and talk to myself, would I listen with what I know now? I think the answer is probably no. That's a depressing thought. Um, and we're sharing things that are a bit farther down the road. And, and I imagine that they sound, this sounds like a 
maybe a bizarre conversation or people who have given up on life or we're talking about trampolines and old bodies and cancer and sitting with our kids. And these are probably things that are difficult to relate to if you're 20 years old and your whole life, especially if you're in university, your life has been on this trajectory to this place and you're there and you you do have the potential, like the world ahead of you and all these other things. Um, and, and at the same time, I know that people live in a great amount of fear and anxiety that, you know, that's part of living in the imminent frame, what Charles Taylor talks about. If there's, if you're here to define yourself and there's all the freedom that that brings, then that brings anxiety too. And that brings a lot of other things, uh, into your life. And so I, I think, um, you know, if you're a Christian that's listening, maybe one of the things I would say is just to continually check yourself. You can't live like you're 35 when you're 20, 18 or whatever. Like, so, you know, you don't, you don't have to try, but I hope that many of you never get cancer and you never have to walk this road and you don't understand what it feels like. Um, and so, you know, I just think that, that what you can do if you follow Jesus is two things. You can continually look at him. Again, going back to the gospel of Mark, the other people, the few other people who get Jesus are just people who spend a lot of time with him. And their lives are always pointing, they're, they're on an upward trajectory. Maybe it's the disciples, they think, I'm going to go, you know, Jesus is going to bring all the fulfillment of all the dreams of our country that we've ever had. And we're going to be his right hand men. And therefore he's going to bring uh, us all the, all the glory that he gets. We're going to get a little bit of it. And they're, they're let down in that dream, but they get Jesus because they continue just to be with him. And he continues to extend them grace too. And so your lives are on an upward trajectory. At the same time, I totally get that there's this shadow in your life of anxiety and fear. What if I don't make it? Who am I? And I'm trying to continually figure that out and perform. And so my, my encouragement in what it means to be human is to look to Jesus, kind of like what Sean started with. We look, look to Jesus all the time and let him help to define that for you. Live in both of those spaces. You are a beautiful creature with almost godlike abilities and something unbelievable to offer the world that no one else can offer. And at the same time, you're a contingent and broken and limited person. And you need to be ministered to God in both of them. So look to Jesus and, and practice any way that you can, not avoiding the path of downward mobility. Or the Bible calls it uh, in, in Philippians 2, kenosis. There's this uh, the emptying of yourself is another way of thinking it. Where are the places you can go to empty yourself? And then just pay attention, almost like a prayer of examine. Why do I avoid it? Why, why maybe does that repulse me? Um, what does that say about me and maybe the parts of Jesus and myself that I'm also repulsed by and avoiding? And then to join Jesus and other people in that space to be ministered to by him, that he shows you his scars. Um, another picture in the Bible we, we don't talk about very often. Jesus died naked. His nakedness, he's, he was naked. He's got the fig leaf or something over him in almost all the paintings. Um, he was naked. He was shamed. He emptied himself. He's got scars. He's not afraid of those places. Um, and he can actually minister to you there. That's the places where he might minister to you. And then if you go there willingly, you meet him there. There are also places where you now can come and minister to other people. And again, knowing power to change uh, quite intimately, our, our desire is to speed that process up and to be able to minister to people. The, the way to get there is walking that path.
of being willing to take the downward path, being able to be ministered to by Jesus, having the character of Jesus being built in our lives through that process, then by God's grace, being able to introduce and minister to other people. It's through those interactions with Jesus that are oftentimes happening, not in the glory moments of life, but in the the moments that you're you're feeling those things of being emptied, less than shame, fear, anxiety, that, that those are the moments when you can receive the grace of God in a new way and therefore offer it to people. And people need it because they're living exactly the same story as us without the story of God to draw from. And so your people around you do need it. So don't avoid those places um, where God might be inviting you to join him on the path of downward mobility. Hmm. So good. I'm glad you're recording this. I'm going to need to go back and listen to that. I, I want to, again, throw it back to you, Selena. Like, you know, what do you, I, I, like I said, conversations are better. You know, what, how do you answer that question? What do you hope people take away or what are you taking away? Um, I hope people take away everything that you guys said. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm taking like a little bit of notes here as well. And so um, I think some of the things that I'm taking away of, of what does it look like to sit with Jesus in, um, in his humanity and my humanity and uh, to minister out of that place of humanness. Um, I think there's something actually quite wonderful about being human um, and that God has chosen to make us human, even if it means that that we are weak. Um, and even if it means that there is potential for woundedness, that if we haven't experienced it, we will <laughs> experience it at some point. And, um, you know, at, at some point, everybody's knees probably gives way a little bit here and there. Um, and while it might not be exactly where university students are at this moment, though it might be because of COVID. I mean, everybody's kind of panicking and, and not, I feel like not doing well in the conversations I'm having with students. Um, I think that there's something very good here in wrestling with this idea of, of being weak and Jesus choosing to be weak um, and identifying in our humanness, um, empathizing with us, but so much more than empathy, I think can, can contain. And, um, yeah, that we, I don't know, there's something there to me. I'm so, I'm clearly still processing, verbally processing all this. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think there's something I think that often we poo-poo on our humanness is maybe what I'm trying to say. Um, like I did the Enneagram ones, which many of my friends are Enneagram ones, so I really shouldn't have done that. And they're a lot of fun, to be honest with you. Um, okay, as but, an Enneagram uh, 5, we're never the life of the party. So, <laughs> yes. When I'm healthy, we're I'm supposed to party. turn into a 5. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Teach me what that means because I don't actually know. Less trampolines um, is what it means, probably. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least sitting I still in a have... corner with a book. That's right. <laughs> I do have many books. I also have a foosball table. The trampoline is underneath the foosball table, in case you're. That's quite wondering. the game on the trampoline with the foosball table. <laughs> yeah. It in my mind. Yeah, we'll we'll do it sometime. Yeah. But um. No, I think it is. There's a lots of process, and I think my comment to try to 
relate it to university students is maybe this is two or three bends down the road for you. You've probably written, you probably have a mental story though of what that road looks like. And it probably will look more like this at some point in your life than what you've drawn out. Some of you will live an amazing upwardly mobile story. God is still there too. Um, but for, for most of us, we, the, the story of, like you said, what people are going through now, I think definitely through COVID is true. It's putting us a bit on more on a, on a level playing field. And everybody's feeling this. Everybody deals with this. This is what it means to be human in some ways is to deal with the limitations. And some people then oddly celebrate it because they feel it. And then because, like I said, our, we are forced to define ourselves. Then if, if what I feel is these negative things, then I have to still throw that out there and everyone needs to accept it. And it almost is like an odd celebration of, you know, we're messed up or we're effed up or whatever people are saying. And there's like this, this, celebration of that. Um, don't try to be perfect. You know, all these different slogans that people post. I think that there's another option. We feel the same things as Christians, but there's another option, which is actually to meet God in that space. Mm. And we, we don't have to reject that in, in like specifically evangelical culture. Like I said, we, we either want to push we only tell the upwardly mobile story, the conquering story, um, you know, where we're at the center, or we want to quickly get out of that downward spiral. You know, I remember even the way we used to teach people how to share their testimonies. It's like, I was hooked on crack, met Jesus, all better. You should too. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's sometimes true. But the Bible tells a different story, which is that um, I met Jesus. And I have a hope that, you know, I have a hope for, for full change and to become and learn to embrace what it means to be fully human and be part of a human community. We didn't even talk about that, right? It's not just me. Mm. That's We're defining it on individual terms. I have that great hope of what it means to be with Jesus at the center in perfect relationship with him myself, with the environment and with each other. But right now I live with a savior who's got scars and he has risen and he is here, but he's got scars. And so do I, and so do we, and we're those kinds of people. And that's the, that's the trueness of the story now. And I live with that great hope, but that is not fully evident in my life today. And so I think there's great hope to live in that story um, and reject just telling, um, like I said, a tale of, of conquering and of power and all those different things. To me, it's, it's like a, oh, it's both. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Like I said, for me, I reject the reject reduction story of just choosing one. It's easier. I get why I do it and I get why other people do it, but I don't think it's faithful to the narrative of the biblical story or the narrative of my life when I'm, when I take the filters off. Yeah. It looks better in sepia tone. Everything does, you know? <laughs> Well, any, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, like I said, I, maybe, maybe I'll say three things. First of all, this was fun. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me, Selena. <laughs> uh, and, and great to chat with both of you again. Um, you're people I respect and people I miss too, like not getting to interact with you guys more often. Um, so it's been a pleasure and an honor. Um, 
I think like, I'm just trying to throw, think of people who might be listening to this. Um, we've already said some like encapsulating thoughts. You have a working definition of what it means to be human. Maybe one other way I've thought about this that's been helpful to people as I've tried to share it is that maybe you feel you, if you have those moments where you feel like you have a manual for your life, but it's like a manual, you know, you're trying to, you feel like you're trying to program a phone, but the manual that you have is for a dishwasher or something like that. Those are the moments where I encourage you to enter into the dialogue and maybe just consider, reconsider the Christian story. Go back to it. That it's not up for those of you who grew up in, in Christian place. It's not a, it may be the invitation of God to actually look closer. That you've got an incomplete story or one of those reduction narratives like we've been talking about. And so go closer. And if you are someone who's listening and you don't, believe in that story maybe it's an opportunity that actually this kind of jesus that we're talking about who has scars but is still alive and is at work is actually trying to reach into your life and and i i just i i beg you to enter into that conversation and and then that's the final thing i was going to say is that this is a conversation kind of topic and it's hard to do like it's it's great i think i've appreciated hearing what you had to say and we've had a great conversation for other people that are listening find a conversation partner because hmm. it's not something that you, you know, and, 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 and like a person that you can have a conversation with. Um, and, um, because you are asking certain questions and, and you need to have those in dialogue with other people. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'm so grateful, uh, that John was one of my conversation partners <laughs> as I began asking this question. And, uh, yeah, this was a real joy. I echo that. To uh, um, I always like working with you, Selena, and we get to work together weekly now, which is fun. Uh, I do miss hanging out with John, so thank you for making this happen. Mm -hmm. I feel like we should just do this again. Maybe I will. I'll just keep picking topics. Yeah, I think the two of you will be good <laughs> to speak on. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for joining. I've really enjoyed this. And I think I, I need to actually listen to this episode again and think more on this topic of what it means to be human. Um, so yeah, thanks. At the end of every episode, we like to give you, the listener, just some time to take pause and to reflect on what you've just heard. So let's do that now. What are the stories you've received about what it means to be human? Where does that feel incomplete?
Where do you look to Jesus for congruity or conflict with that story? Where are you experiencing limitation in your life right now? Is there an opportunity to embrace your creative potential, or is the Lord inviting you to surrender? What is the next step and what God is calling you to do in embracing your humanity? <laughs>